Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and as normal, I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. I'm not actually here with you this time. In fact, we're an enormous distance apart. I'm back in Western Australia, and you're in India. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Yes, we are, and I happen to be in India this week. Certainly a lot happening here, as it was last week in Singapore. I am in IBM, or sorry, rather, India Blockchain Week, IBW. Old habits, Derek. I work for IBM, so every time I see IB, <laughs> I add an M in front of it. But again, engaging in conversations with academia, with startups, as well as some of the large financial powerhouses in India this week. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Hey, it's actually an extraordinary time because what we're seeing at the moment is we're seeing the markets grow, the capitalization grow, the investment grow, the talk around exchanges grow. And at the same time, you and I are seeing the technology grow, the discussions about the technology. This is starting to feel like it should feel, like we experienced it for the the three years leading up to the end of 2021. So let's have a look at what's happening. So just recently, today, Bitcoin hit an all-time high. No, it hit a yearly high of US $45,000, which was part of pushing the entire market capitalization up to about 1.5 trillion. That's extraordinary because it's up nearly 50% in what was probably about four months. So we've seen a real movement and there's sort of discussion around why same sort of discussion, interest rates are looking like they're going to drop away, spot ETF is coming, there's some panic buying, there's a lot of FOMO out there that's engaging with the acquisition of of Bitcoin. But it's not just Bitcoin that is seeing this growth. Obviously, we're seeing that play through a number of the larger altcoins in reflecting their value. But shares in Coinbase which is the cryptocurrency exchange that is listed on uh, exchange in the USA, have risen nearly 300% in the last 12 months. And that 300%, in natural fact, has outperformed Bitcoin itself. And the chart that's running it, the professionals tell us that the chart that's running it, they think there's a lot more growth yet to come from Coinbase. Quite extraordinary. The digital asset inflows, and that's calculated by the ETFs around the world that reflect value of both Bitcoin and Ethereum, depending on the ETF. Um, they're saying that the total inflow for the week, the last week, was $176 million. Um, and over the last 10 weeks, in actual fact, is evened out at about $1.76 billion have gone into ETFs, the largest being Canada, Germany, the US, Hong Kong, Asia, and a very small amount in in Australia. 
Bitcoin saw nearly $133 million of that $176 million flowing. Now, I mean, we were talking about ETFs here. And so we've seen some really encouraging inflows and reflections of value there. So, Nitin, we've just come from Singapore and you and I had a fantastic opportunity to both speak with a round table and talk at a conference. And from Singapore, we've seen Singapore just recently announced that DigiFT, which is a digital asset exchange, has received um, MAS, or Monetary Authority of Singapore, authorization to operate collective investment schemes as well as an organized market, aka a secondary market, according to Henry Zhang, who is a Singapore-based company founder. So the exchange is being granted central bank's capital market services license, and it's, and it's a recognized market operator. This is great progress that, that they're actually, you know, in Singapore, they're actually moving forward and recommending the establishment of these exchanges. I think they've got a bit further to go. We know that part of the MAS is showing that they're keen on exchanges, another part of the, and and the cryptocurrency, another part of the MAS is still quite reserved about the space. And I know through having meetings earlier this year, April this year, with the chief fintech officer at MAS, that their prime focus at that stage was was on, was was on just reflective of the US dollar in this space. And and that's that's not that's not a great movement forward, but that was April. And you never know by now they might be going past that whole stable coin area. So the the family offices up in Singapore, they're starting to show a great deal of interest in this. We're getting more and more inquiries consistently from the Portal Digital Fund point of view and from the Radiance Fund point of view. How do we start getting exposure to this marketplace? And uh, so all in all, very positive in the last in the last week. And that's also getting reflected by the enthusiasm in the blockchain conference that you presented at in Nitten. Yeah, and I'm, I would echo that, Derek, I think. And I felt after a long time being in the element because one, there's market momentum, there's energy, there's enthusiasm because, yeah. you know, rising yeah. tides lifts all the boats. And as you rightly pointed out, mm-hmm. that not just Bitcoin, We've seen massive growth in all the alts, the alternative currencies that surround Bitcoin. The miners have seen a massive influx of that growth potential as well. This is the riots of the world and marathon of the world who own a lot of these facilities that are involved in mining Bitcoins. Of course, then you have the Michael Saylors of the world, MicroStrategy, which I think is an amazing story of dollar cost averaging that every time there's a dip, Michael Saylor has been consistently going ahead and, and, and investing into Bitcoin, whether it's from a debt or equity raises that he's done as a company and that makes MicroStrategy a de facto ETF. If you invest in MicroStrategy, you actually have a Bitcoin exposure. But at the same time, Derek, El Salvador, which also has invested some of his treasury into Bitcoin, is in black, finally. So I think in general, a lot of good energy, both the fact that, again, I'm here in India, you know, blockchain week, Singapore, focuses on building new business models, intellectual thinking coming together, which is something similar that I saw during internet era as well. And it's not, I think, stymied just purely by the conversation we had during the bull, the, the bear market, where it was all about SEC and treasury. I think to me, maybe the Binance and the FTX is, is behind us and we can move forward. 
and that's the messaging and that's the the rhetoric that I hear whether I'm talking to people or I'm talking to folks in large financial you know powerhouses or builders to say we can move forward building which to me is a collective momentum that we can look forward to which I'm hoping the commission next year is a bit different in terms of meaningful projects and how the industry has seen itself grow over time that's my observation at least from singapore perspective but very very positive very very bullish and absolutely love the energy both from the investment community the family offices that we both spoke to but also from the technology builders community and the banking ecosystem that is looking into building real world assets learning from the technical you know the technology innovations that they have seen in 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 the blockchain space Mm, mm, very true. It's amazing what a couple of months difference makes. Of course, in this space, it's amazing what a week makes, you know. And, and you know, really three months ago, we were hoping and anticipating that Q4 would see an uptake and some enthusiasm come into the market. And we've seen that in even greater uptake than we anticipated. One has to remember that it's sitting at about $1.5 trillion and if you look at the CCI 30 index, which is sitting about 10,500 as an index count, that's, you know, the all-time high was sitting at about 35,000 as an index count. So, so it's like, you know, it's a third of where it was some period of time. So we've seen rapid growth, but it's been early growth that's occurred. And, you know, my, I've, I've got to say from my point of view, when engaging some investors, there's a certain level of enthusiasm around saying, come on, it's now, it's now. Don't, don't, don't call us in a year's time. Now is my thought. Now remember, we don't give financial advice on this, on this um, show and I, this is my, just my discussions with, with the professional investors. But the interesting thing about it is that those investors, many investors, not those, but many other investors, they're looking at bonds and equity and real estate and also there are many things that are keeping them occupied they actually haven't necessarily started moving their binoculars across to this space. So as yet, I don't think we've seen the big arrival of the investment houses and the institutions. And the amounts of money I'm quoting there of $176 million a week coming in um, aren't very large, uh, frankly. So we've seen high percentage increases um, but it's not very large amounts, and the main investment community still hasn't engaged. Do you see that, Nitin? I see that too, and I think you know when I look at the numbers that you that you that you recited early on, then it's not a lot if you think about it. Right, no. 130 million, 150 million in high finance is it's really not a lot coming into it. And I think there were some predictions that the analyst community, this is the JP Morgan and the Bank of America have made that ETF learning from the past lesson in Canada doesn't necessarily imply the valuation that we are seeing attributed to the ETF elements. But there's also this whole element of FOMO. And, and so I think there's combinatorial element of this, which given some of the predictions, both the likes of Matrix Board and some of the analyst community, JP Morgan, for instance, these numbers to me are building blocks. They are incremental growth that we see. That means there's a lot more to come. And some predictions were that we expect Bitcoin to reach $100,000 by the end of 2024. And I'm glad that it's not a billion dollars in the first week. I'm glad that it's, it's incrementally progressing because that also is a sign of maturity because people are consuming information and making decisions based on that information 
whether it's Federal Reserve interest rate, which has impacted global macro into the asset valuation, or whether it's a halving event, which is being factored into the pricing, which is happening in, 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 in April, or whether it's uh, all the bad actors, the contagion of incompetence behind us, FTX and Binance and, and some other sort of lawsuits in this, or including the fact that SEC is losing steam given the entire legal and regulatory sort of challenges that they have seen and they have lost a few and, you know, cases and so on and so forth. So I think it, to me, these are nuggets which leads to us the fact that I'm glad it's not a billion or 10 billion inflow into it. It's incrementally processed, which means the markets have the ability to consume information and then make subsequent decision because high volatility in terms of prices having these massive swings is not good for the industry in general, I think. Yeah, 100%. It may be good for a few yes. who are trying to have arbitrage opportunities and so on and so forth. It's certainly not good for the entire industry, I think. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And one has to remember, those that are listening to us now, you really are a minority. You're a special minority, but you're a minority because it's still a very small industry and those with any degree of knowledge in this industry and everyone is often has an anxiety moment when they think about how much they know in this industry. And normally that anxiety moment is, I just don't know enough. And, and I think the important thing to note there is, is you know a lot more than most people know. So if you're listening to this and you're getting an understanding of what's happening in investment, what's happening in technology development, what's happening in different countries around the world, you're getting a sense of the movement of this, of this marketplace. And that's part of what we're here to do. And so that sense is that it is moving forward, but there aren't many people that have that overall understanding of what's happening in this marketplace. And I think that is reflected in this steady, well, if you call 50% over three months or four months steady, but in this, in this steady absorption of, of money that this investment space has had. You know, from, from our point of view, we are calling the followers that have been following our fund for some period of time and just asking them if they're watching this marketplace and to ask them to start observing it. And so that's very good. And the other thing we've noticed along the way, of course, is we've had an opportunity to attend some conferences. And one of the conferences we attended, and thank you very much for the invitation, Nitin, I had an opportunity to listen to a number of bankers talk about digitization of real world assets. And if I may say so, as excited as bankers get, which is not very excited. These guys were talking about real world assets, tokenization of real world assets, as if it was something extraordinarily novel and quite groundbreaking. I'm pleased that they're excited about. I think it's important to realize technology wise, right? The tokenization of real world assets is probably not incredibly disruptive. However, socially, it might be disruptive. We're at the early days, aren't we, Nitin? We are, and I, I think we've been saying this for quite some time. I think the financial institutions, which is lion's share of players who were there in that conference, who were talking about whether it's standard charters initiatives or DBS initiatives, who are looking into this and tokenizing assets and giving you the adjacencies, you know, for building the infrastructure that the the tokenization of asset needs. I still think that it's a mess to for to many of these parties that are announced or discussed, that the world we live in is an increasingly connected global financial ecosystem. Mm. Which means whatever happens in Singapore or Asia, 
has to connect with what's happening in Europe and what's happening in the US, both that we are in, in, a, in a global market ecosystem, but also liquidity. There's a lot of flow of funds in exchange of these tokenized assets. At the end of the day, we're dealing with settlement instruments. We're dealing with money moving primarily US dollars, not only as a global reserve, but also movement of money between these different projects. So I think that is something which I found was lacking, that everybody's talking about their projects to say, hey, we tokenized the green bond, we tokenized a bond, and we're able to do these things. But they were rather talking about closed systems. And I would like to see, at least as the industry progresses, to start looking into are the secondary markets for these things. And is the market infrastructure ready, whether it's for custody systems or whether it's for you know clearing houses that are dealing with these systems because that market structure has not changed there's still these players who are performing a certain function so to me that was interesting so my sidebar conversation and i'm really glad that my peers and cohorts actually agree with that assessment and they can only talk about their projects they can only talk about the technical feats that they have achieved in in their in in, in their you know other elements so to me that was very effective and i think going back to crypto and i do discern as you know direct between tokenization of real-world assets or existing assets, which is embarking on the same tech as crypto is. But going back to crypto, this week, the fear and greed index has largely been towards greed. So I'm being cautiously optimistic to dissect what that means. I'm also looking into the Bitcoin market cap and Ethereum market cap because Bitcoin and Ether, to me, are the structurally important assets to the industry. But there has to be balance between those two Yes. Only because that any imbalance sort of feeds that fear in, and, and the greed index towards greed. So I think achieving the balance to me is really, really important because there has to be utility around this and it cannot just be a purely speculative asset, so to speak. Yeah. So 100%. It's interesting when some of the banks, very, very large and well-known banks, representatives spoke about digitization of real world assets they couldn't help but have the occasional moment to stop and take a dig at at dogecoin and say you know really you know crypto still got dogecoin in place and ha 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 and and i and I, I i kind of felt like putting my hand up and going are you serious i mean of all the tokens you've managed to pick dogecoin you want to sort of poke a hole at it and and i i hope that there's going to be a more broad encompassment you know of of tokenization of real world yeah. assets so can i use this analogy you know tokens way before my era were used in fairgrounds and it's the oldest analogy of these tokens and when you came in you gave them your money and they gave you a token and that meant you could go around the fairground with a currency that could operate within the fairground so all the show owners could get the same currency etc etc and you know, the tokenization of digital assets, I don't think is much different to that. But what happens, Nitin, if you are handed a token, which is a smart contract, and you go into that fairground and it works out what you like, how to get there, how to get discounts on multiple rides, getting frequent flyers if you're going on multiple rides, um, you know, pr proposing to you variations, discounts on lunches if you go to certain places. That's smart contract tokenization and I hope to see that in the future the groups that are looking at tokenizing real-world assets are going to start thinking about tokenizing smart contract real-world assets so that they can uh, if where necessary self-initiate and support the user base 
Uh, we're not quite there yet, are we, Nitin? No, we're not. And I, I think, to your point, right, I think, that, and this is something which I'm here in various educational sessions. I'm spending, I'm, a, I'm an entity called Master's Union that's focusing on experiential learning for these budding financial executives and yeah. entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. And we had the same conversation today that, that it's about, you know, a structure, not just about the technical constructs. So I think a lot of conversation, both in Singapore and India, it looked technically we can do these things. And the question I ask is, is there a business here? Are we not uh, focused on creating secondary markets? Are we not facilitating additional liquidity because now we're able to tokenize and using smart contracts provide a governance structure around these things. They become the business process engines of tokenized Mm. assets to say that if token has to move from point A to point B, it has to meet these requirements before the tokens move. And this is what I think the industry has called as compliance-aware tokens, for example. With all these conversations, and my simple question is, fine, we're tokenizing these things. Where is the market? Is there a secondary market? Because if there's no secondary market, yeah. then all yeah. the virtues that we have been extolling on fractionalization and liquidity and liquidity creation and liquidity generation, it's non-existent. Because if I'm still sending a token from point A to point B, then we haven't really changed anything. We simply changed the modality from a digital message to a digital token. That's it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Exactly. So that is the conversation I'm having now with... Uh, this week in, in you know in, in India, around things you know with Polygon and with, with you know Aptos and Sui, some of these networks, is what is what are we building from infrastructure perspective that enables the creation of these things with little effort? Because if everything is a separate project, then the challenge is the alignment of incentives because each of the projects have tokens and connectivity, and the same challenge will ensue at some point in the traditional finance world because these projects will eventually find their way there. And uh, so it's a, it's a little, you know, I'm now I'm focusing more towards more serious projects as opposed to just hand-waving saying, that, hey, we've been doing this for some time, if, if that makes sense. Hmm. Hmm. So Nitin, you're in India, you're doing typically what you do every year, which is your part of giving back to community and, and talking at these schools and yeah. at these conferences. And, and well done for doing it. It's just typical of your character and what you what you enjoy doing. What are you Thank sensing you. there from the from the the kids from the young adults that are interested in this space? Yeah. You know, remember, you know, I mean, India's got more than a billion people, and we know they're highly numeric and they're very ambitious. Um, this would seem to me to be yeah. a perfect formula for India and its people. How do you think that's progressing at the moment, in yeah. keeping with what the government's no, trying to do? Yeah, so I, first of all, super excited being from India and being here, being a part of the Indian ecosystem only gives me nothing but joy and pride, right, that I'm part of the whole ecosystem. Second thing mm. is post-China ban of crypto, as you, we have discussed this last year sometime, there's a lot of VC capital that moved from China to India because India was the next evolution for of taking on, because India didn't really ban crypto, they simply taxed it. So they discouraged use. But India also has some of the best payment system in the world, from UPI to RTGS to NEFTs, and the only country that actually has real-time security settlement, which is large volume payments that go with it. So there's a digital innovation underway. And what India did in 2000 Y2K times is exporting its labor, which is skilled 
yes. talent with numerical and language abilities to come and and i think this time the view around the industry is we just don't want to supply labor we want to bring innovation we want to bring entrepreneurs we want to bring new ideas and we want to actually bring the venture capital ecosystem at par with the global scale which is bringing mm. the indian wealth that that india has generated in the last 20 years and i also think that this time as compared to y2k era it's different because there is a whole sense of national pride of what india has achieved in space race in infrastructure in sort of strong governance strong you know reserve of us dollars massive foreign investment coming to the country so i think it's combination of that confidence level in addition to the skills that india has been developing in the last several decades it's very exciting uh, derek i sense a new energy and i sense the can do attitude and i think unlike the western world which is fearing this as a competitive element i think the indian administration is encouraging innovation of course with cautious optimism to make sure that we are doing the right things there's no fraud there is no displacement of a sovereign control of these systems for right reasons from indian perspective because india has always been played with counter terrorism financing and so on and so forth and to me that is refreshing to see that it's not just a blanket ban or blanket uh, resentment towards the growth of technology i would say uh, the term excited i don't use the term quite a bit at all actually in my vernacular but i'm excited to be here this week it's super interesting mm. to be here mm okay. i suppose i i got to say i wish i was there too singapore was fascinating last week it seems Come to have over. a steady a steady interest and a steady growth and so yes so jump across to india you and i can hang out again and do another broadcast together so the other thing has been interesting of course progressively yeah. is that if you look at the lead up to this most of the investment money has come from developed countries and the user base is in developing countries and it's kind of ironic because i get a sense that we're going to see in india and other countries like that what we saw with the cell phone network which is just the jumping of power jumping of telephone lines they just straight out into villages around the countryside no telephone lines that whole tech was just left behind and and i wonder whether that's going to happen here Correct. too and of course we're seeing that in the philippines which which was extraordinary of course we we saw great growth in the philippines with the play to earn gaming and the tokens that were generated for that as a payment system we're seeing it in vietnam too young population well educated smart numeric etc it's exciting to see these countries take it on and they're taking it on it appears to me without the fear and the sort of dragging anchor knowledge base that we in developed countries experience along the way so there's going to be a shift and and as i often say from so. a social point of view yeah. the shift is going to be extraordinary and i so love watching and being involved with it yeah i do agree and i had the same analogy today too exactly what you said derek in, in one of the classroom i was with so the new students and new entrepreneurs is all the funding is coming so we talked about the old economy the web2 economy and the web3 economy and we were discussing in terms of the movement of money from bitcoin to store of value and enormous amount of wealth which today is about 813 billion dollars 
and how do you move the so the conversation was around interoperability and the analogy that I did was that bitcoiners who are holding bitcoin want to make their assets productive and just like the old wealth which is switzerland and the west is yeah. investing into vc which is investing into india it's quite similar so i i do agree with that analysis of yours derek and and to me again it is inching in that direction where the innovation is coming from the developing country but the investment is coming from the developed sort of country per se mm. Mm, very so, much so. Yeah, looking. So um, let's. All right. Let's. Then. You know, I will report back from India and uh, India Blockchain Week next week when we. I'll be in London next week, so that's my last stop before I get home, to also report from London. So hopefully next time we have more, more data points to to share with the audience and truly providing global perspective of where the industry is heading. Terrific. Well, I look forward to that too, each step of the way. And, and you and I are actually travelling to Token 2049 in Dubai early next year too to see That's what's right. happening in the Middle East. That is I'm right. keen to see that grow. And remember, we had one of your great friends and colleagues on to discuss that, Sakar, and I think it should be time we get him on yeah. again. I think we should. In fact, I think a month before we get into Token 2049, we should get Sakar Arkad. He is the co-founder of Crypto Oasis, which is one of the largest crypto ecosystems. It'll be great to have Sakar on and get his perspective because I think he is, he is, I see him all the time on LinkedIn, LinkedIn and Telegram, super heads down on building that ecosystem. So I think it'll be really great to get on the ground perspective from him, Derek. Yeah, excellent. Hey, next week we've got Until something then. slightly different too. And that is, we've got Andrew Mason coming to join us. And Andrew Mason is, is the head of one of the black operations within Apple. And the black operation that he ran for a long period of time was part of the development of the famous Apple virtual and augmented goggles. Certain things he can't talk about, awesome. plenty of things he can. He's gonna join us next week to talk about Apple's glasses okay. and how he sees that changing, what's going to happen in uh, the metaverse and other, other things. Until then, enjoy your blockchain conferences and look forward to seeing you in London. Bye Thank you, Derek. Take care. We'll chat next week. Ciao. Bye-bye. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.